In this episode, I am joined by Beth Galichon, who is the Head of Development at Bristol Zoo. And we are here to talk about all things zoological. Um, and basically, the idea being to explore what a zoo could and should be. And I know Beth has got a lot of stories and a lot of things to share with us. So welcome to the podcast, Beth. Hi, thanks for having me. So tell us what's going on. I mean, there's huge, huge changes at the zoo. For anybody who's local or in or around Bristol, they'll know that the, um, what was it, 200 years worth of uh, residency in uh, the centre of uh, Clifton in Bristol has now kind of passed to uh, pastures new um, on the outskirts of town. So, that, I mean, that must be a fundamental change to the organisation, having been there for so long, you know, very much a staple part of Bristol and now somewhere and something completely different. Yeah, that's right. So it's 186 years um, that Bristol Zoo was founded um, up in Clifton. And really, it's always been the centre of excellence and science. And um, But things have changed. Modern times have changed. The way we care for animals has changed. Um, and um, for most people, we are aware that our site at Wild Place Project, which is quite near Cliffs Causeway, um, is, um, has been owned by the, the, the um, Bristol Zoological Society for a number of years. Um, so almost since the 1960s, um, the site is a formerly Hollywood um, mansion um, and Hollywood estate. Um, and it was um, owned uh, by the organisation. It used to be used um, initially for um, growing food for animals, um, housing any animals that, uh, that were weren't uh, were off show or or breeding them out of um, out of the centre of the city there. Um, and about ten years ago, that was opened uh, as a public uh, wild place project. Um, and really, the biggest difference I would say, Neil, is that the site at Clifton is twelve acres, and the site here that we have at Wild Place Project is one hundred and forty-six acres. Um, so that's a huge opportunity um, to really um, bring into focus. Um, animal welfare and how we can be at the leading edge of innovation when it comes to animal care, but also the role of zoos um, and the site at, at Clifton um, obviously has a very important place in people's hearts. There's a lot of heritage there. Um, you know, many families will have visited and brought their grandchildren and their parents have, have memories, um, very fond memories of, of those special occasions that they had, especially connecting with animals. Um, and and we want to honour that. And uh, But also during this time where species and animals and climate change is happening we know we've got a really important role in saving wildlife and for us that means using our assets to its best um, ability to be able to care for the species but also to be able to influence um, other organizations and people to care for and protect species in the wild um, and zoos have an important role in, in developing that really. Yeah, I can, I can remember you, you, you talk about um, sort of you know, being part of people's hearts. And I can remember, you know, as a child and bringing my own children to the zoo. And, 
you know, it was an incredibly special place. I mean, just really quite enchanting, um, despite, you know, some of the memories of possibly animals that, you know, didn't seem quite as happy back in the day. And obviously everybody knows the stories of, you know, zoos not necessarily being, you know, in the best interest of animals. And I know we'll come on to kind of a lot of the project work um, that you're currently doing to really, I guess, address um, some of the historic kind of perceptions around zoos. But even back then, back back in the day, it just felt like a really special place. And there was there's almost something about the connection with animals that kind of brings, no matter how old or young anybody is, it just kind of brings a sense of of place and a sense of being, doesn't it? Whereas in, you know, everyday life, you know, we can get swept along by the technology and swept along by career development and all those kind of things that really distract us. But there's a real sense when you go to a zoo that is kind of really well thought through, well choreographed, the animals are happy. There is a sense of real connection, isn't there? And it's, it's, really powerful you you must see this with the people that you work with yeah definitely I, I think as I said the roles of zoos have changed previously I mean when you think back to 186 years ago or, or that time nobody knew what animals were out there in the world you know we didn't have videos we didn't you know it was probably very unusual to get a picture book or um something like that but actually to look an animal in the eye and to smell it and to see it and to see how its behavior and how um we connect to that is so important i suppose that's where the history of of, of zoos and why they've been really important landmarks in our history um and the success of them as a visitor attraction, um, but also of those zoos that are leading the way in, in informing science and being a, having a very important role in society in, in educating people about animals, where they live, what their ecosystems are, um, comes about. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that that changes all the time as practices go forward, and and, and that's the same with culture and society. Things change, um, and uh, you know I'm I'm sure that lots of people um, will have had their first encounters or their first connection, and and sometimes that that really enables you um, to care for and protect and and possibly you know choose to make a difference or to go into a career. I'm sure a lot of children like me were fascinated by animals pets at home but also you know would have would have really loved to explore that kind of could you be a vet or a zookeeper and um, I suppose people think about zoos in those roles of, of it being very about the animals that are looked after and cared for within those zoo walls but actually nowadays we know that that, that the zoo goes beyond those walls and our responsibility can go um, you know, really far beyond that. And Bristol Zoo is a charity. It's an organisation with a purpose. It's a not, it's a not for profit. So there are differentiations between some zoos that are owned and that they are for profit. And their primary um, reason for being there is uh, is a visitor attraction. Whereas the model of um, of, of charitable zoos is often um, quite different. The income we get is by visitors, 
But what we uh, want to invest in is the conservation, the breeding of animals, the science of, of, of studying animals, um, becoming experts in veterinary practice, but also taking those skill sets into the wild to conserve animals um, that are native um, to lots of different places in the world and also educating communities that are around those animals in the wild as well. So there's there's definitely a transform, a connection that happens where we, where people might come to the zoo for one reason, just to come and see an animal. But I think our role as the zoo is to really explain um, the the species that they're seeing or the animals that they're connecting with, what the um, environmental uh, risks or habitat loss and all of those things that might mean that that animal goes extinct and obviously nobody wants that to happen because biodiversity like diversity in humans is hugely important it's what makes us healthy functioning um world um where 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 our survival and the animal survival and nature survival are all very interconnected yeah, it's interesting when you describe the the, the status of um, Bristol Zoo being you know a not for profit. It kind of sets up, I guess, an expectation of collaboration and of kind of openness and um, communication. Because I mean, I, I guess you know, there's, a, there's a huge benefit for the zoo being connected um, in Bristol and throughout the southwest with lots of like-minded organisations. I mean, the obvious one from a um, an animal perspective is the um, BBC's Natural History. History, um, unit you know and you know you just think of all the amazing work that over the years you know they have done to really kind of raise you know the awareness of environment through animals and through travel and through you know various sort of habitats um, into well kind of real mainstream consciousness and I think it's a really powerful kind of thing I mean do, do you find yourselves really collaborating with organizations to kind of get this message through because it would be a I guess a lonely battle if you were trying to sort of forge this alone so it must be a big sort of collaboration piece from your perspective absolutely and i think that it's so pivotal to the success of any organization and charity and i think partnerships and collaboration works um in every kind of function of the zoo. So when you think about the animal species, no zoo owns its own animals. They're all part of a breeding program. There is a stud book that's owned uh, by different zoos, different keepers take responsibility. And so when animals are bred within zoos, they all need rehoming, then they are matched with the best genetic makeup, um, you know, making sure that, um, pe that species reach a standard we have uh, the European um, Association for Zoos and Aquarium, and we have the British in, uh, um, Association for Zoos and Aquariums as, as well, IASA and BIASA. Um, so they are how they connect all different zoo um, keepers and also um, collections of animals. So actually, when you think about it, no zoo owns its own animals, but we do pay for the upkeep and the management of those animals. So therefore, keepers also work in collaboration. They will uh, shortly, you know, I think I went to a meeting yesterday where we're looking to have a, a conference for giraffe specialists. And this is the first of its type that's going to be held um, in Europe. Normally, people have to travel to Amer America to get this training. And so, you know, we are collaborating with other keepers to make sure sure that we're reaching the best practice and best standards of care for the animals 
And then we have our students, schools, we work with schools, we work with community groups that access education from a very young age. And then we have partners with universities, uh, UWE um, and, and uh, other local um, um, universities and, and school um, colleges um, who, who not only work with us to develop the best quality of um of education and, uh, and further education but also um, we are able to provide opportunities for students to learn um, and practice um, at the zoo and also opportunities for them to go into the field and practice conservation and then of course we have our conservation now we're only a very small organisation and obviously there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done across the world when we look at um, protection, conservation um, and a variety of projects. So we must choose those um, animals or species or projects that we can make the biggest difference to and, um, and therefore we work with other organisations and other government organisations to make sure that we can be as effective as possible. So really it is a very um, collaborative approach to making the biggest difference and we can all become specialists in different things and together combined we have a much better impact and uh, and uh, and the role of, of, of the zoo is to really kind of show people um, how all of these things are connected. So yeah it kind of I think for me really becomes very obvious very quickly then that this is so much more and so different to being a visitor attraction yes you attract visitors but not in the typical sense of a theme park or anything like that it's there's something fundamentally different that's going on here isn't there and I know we kind of teed this up as being you know how is a zoo could and should operate um, but it feels that because you're looking at engagement and involvement from the visitors, they're not just here to kind of observe the animals. And um, I, I love the thing about you say you, you don't own the animals. I guess you're a real custodian of the animal, aren't you? Because, you know, they are kind of in lots of ways bigger than you um, as, a, as a destination or as a, an organization, because without them, you wouldn't exist. So it's kind of they are inherent to, to the brand. But is it, do you think, then the involvement and the kind of engagement that is the difference between, say, a, um, a zoo that is for profit and a zoo that's a not for profit. Because as a not for profit, I'm assuming that it is the engagement and involvement in everyone who, who attends, comes along, any kind of sponsors or partners. You really do want them properly embedded in what you're doing, don't you? Not just kind of doing this from a distance. No, I think, and I think. When we say we're a charitable zoo, we have specific aims and objectives that we aim towards. It's not making a profit. That's how it enables our work. That's how we make a difference to saving wildlife. And I would say that we can't exist without the visitor. We can't exist without those supporters, those donors, those members, those people. They are the us, the we. That you know, people say it's not me delivering the work. I'm here to engage people with the cause to show them what they can make the difference. But really, it is those community networks that are coming together to 
facilitate it. And I suppose you could say that there are other visitor attractions like museums, you know, they are um, funded often um, nationally, they are often you can have free entry to them, but to uh, for certain exhibits you would have to pay. You know, we're very used to that model, I'm very lucky to have that, I feel very privilege that I can walk into Bristol Museum and go and have a look at this incredible culture and art. Um, and, and so I think zoos, they have a pay gate. And the reason is, is because we don't have a static collection. It costs a lot of money to look after animals, to care for them, to operate a, a star network that's almost 150 people. Uh, we also have 200 volunteers that come and help us. So yes, there's definitely that difference between it being a charity and, and being for profit. Um, but I think that probably the biggest thing is, is our very strategic objective and the way that we reinvest funds. Um, that's really important to us, um, how we are making a difference with education, how we are in, in creating behavior change. So a lot of those, um, in, you know, a lot of the way that we see ourselves as a human or, or our own values or our own well-being is developed very young or influenced by our parents. And so when our parents bring us to the zoo and we see species and we are um, also have that incredible emotional connection to them, we can empower people. And the UN recently recognised that zoos have a critical role to play in, in the conservation of animals and species and ecosystems across the world because they're often the place where people interact with animals. So that is where I see us being really valuable and actually really unique. We're a charity you can come and see the, the conservation in action. We have expertise that have developed over many years. So some of the skills that we learn here, for example, if we have a a, a, a species that we breed here, we can take that knowledge back to the wild. So when they're trying to have a few species left, um, for example, the bleeding heart dove in the Philippines, they were really struggling to, to, to breed them and they couldn't figure out why. And what happened was an animal keeper who had bred them at Bristol was able to go there and show them, make sure that the conditions were right. So actually that species being protected in the wild and they, we are passing on that knowledge to, 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 to enable species to have the best chance of being protected and, and, and to be able to flourish as well. That's really interesting because I, I guess as a, a member of the public, I'm aware that you have <clears throat> kind of breeding programs, but I would was always of the assumption that that would be to be kind of breeding animals then that stay in the zoo for, for your purposes, for your benefit, really, and kind of having just a nice, happy family full of animals. But actually what you're saying here is that kind of your reach and your influence really goes far and wide. I mean, it literally is international then. Absolutely, yeah, and and communities have built up we've relationships with those communities across the world and expertise, and that is often the role that zoos have. Is actually we're taking our expertise and being able to set up uh, populations of safety. They might be bred in captivity, for example, in the Philippines, and then re-released there. But the species we have here in Bristol, you can imagine, for us to be able to transport 
you know, a, a bleeding heart dog back to the Philippines. It's going to be hugely stressful for the animal and, you know, not have the same success as if we're breeding them in the wild there or in captivity in the country of origin so that they can be released there. And then zoos are working together to achieve that as well. So I believe um, there is a bleeding heart um, dove that we're going to have within the new zoo. And we are getting... Uh, the, the breeding from another zoo who is giving that to us so that we can build those expertise. So normally breeding and the and transfer of animals happens between zoos, um, not often in the wild. If animals are going to be bred to, to, to be released into the wild, that often happens in the countries of origin. But it will be the conservation teams that we have um, that will set up and monitor um, those species. You know, make sure that 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 you know the the the, the chick hatches and that the 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 bird manages to to raise its young. And we'll often monitor that that species um, in the wild, track where it goes, where all the fragments of forest. And we're starting to see well, actually the. The reason why the species is, is is perhaps in decline is because there isn't a nesting box or it, it, there's a predator there or, or, or whatever. So we're using science to monitor, evaluate, improve and breed and be able to share information. So when we say breeding programs, certainly what we mean is that, that we are... Um, we want to have it in the zoo, but what we do is we take that knowledge and we impart it um, to, to our partnership organisations and and to the expertise on the ground. So yeah, we have a we have an enormous amount of, of conservation work that happens. So we have uh, you see the giraffes here at Wild Place Project, um, but we also work in Cameroon with monitoring, caring for, tracking, looking after the species there. So you know we are working in partnership with those communities to say, okay, how do we, how do we improve um, the chances of species surviving in the wild? So if, if anybody was coming along to um, the Wild Place Project and, and <clears throat> was intrigued by what you've just said there, these kind of connections internationally to obviously all the local habitats, do, do they get a sense of that when they actually visit? Is, is, is there like a connection to the research that's going on behind, you know, I say just seeing the animal. I mean, that is obviously a wonderful experience in itself, but for the more scientific or technologically um, sort of enabled people they might have a wish to kind of know okay yeah but what's happening then later upstream or downstream to this particular program I mean do, do they get an opportunity to tap into that yeah so we do find it's really interesting because we also because we've got the chance to create a new zoo at Wild Place and this is really our ambition is to uh, for anyone who's visited Wild Place and gone to Bear Woods um, they will know that there is quite a lot of signage throughout of explaining the species. Um, we do a lot of uh, local species conservation work there within the woodland there, so alongside the bears and, and the wolves. So we, we do um, impart knowledge in different ways, but the most successful way that we find that people really gain knowledge, because, you know, I don't know, if you've ever come to the zoo with children, the most interesting thing is to see the animal, right? <laughs> They will rush and they want to get ahead and they want to spot the animal. And what we have is some incredible volunteers and engagement staff here at the zoo who actually um, 
engage people in conservation and talk about those projects as well as the signs. So the signs are there, but often people miss that. And so where we're really connecting with people is through that human connection is actually having someone there to say have you seen you know the have you have you spotted um you know the walls here and or have you have you seen the links it's just behind there and that's where the value is really coming in and i think as we develop the news what we're looking at is rather than that sort of old way of looking at at collections of animals being put together. So say you went to the reptile house and you'd go in the reptile house and you'd see a snake and then you'd see all these different reptiles. They would have been from all over the world, um, you know, some from Africa continent, some from um, um, South America, and they would have been lined up with these are the snakes and these are things. That's something we want to move away from. We're hoping to create um, almost little biome ecosystems where, you know, when you come to the Central African forest, you're going to see a gorilla and then you are going to see some uh, cherry crown mangabees, which are some enchanting monkeys that live in the forest with those gorillas. And also you will see some African parrots and you're going to see some, um, some crocodiles. So you're seeing those species much more in a natural environment where we can talk about nature and replicating nature, um, not only for us as humans, but also because that creates enrichment for the animals. You know, it's much more exciting to have another animal, you know, sharing your enclosure at times um, to, to, to keep that entertainment. And, and, and that's kind of where we're looking to move forward with, with having a much more idea of, of, of discovering how it would feel to be in the wild. And we know the environmental implications of, of traveling around the world to see wildlife. It's not sustainable. Um, how we, it is important that people understand that. How we do that is going to be what will make the new Bristol Zoo innovative, exciting, and a place where we can be proud of um, that we that we are being able to show that. And I think the other thing that will be really clear with the new Bristol Zoo will be a conservation campus right in the heart of the zoo. So where at the moment um, at Bristol Zoo Gardens, there is an education um, centre there where students study and lectures happen. Um, it's not right in the centre in a public view, whereas at the new zoo, the conservation campus, you will be able to see scientists working on programmes through a window. It will be part of that visitor experience that you can actually see conservation in action, or maybe you'll be able to see an animal being operated on in the veterinary centre. So very different approach to uh, a visitor attraction where you just go to rush to the animals very much a... You come as a visitor, you leave informed, passionate, willing to do something and armed with the knowledge and the next steps to be able to take action. This is so exciting. It really is. I want this now. I want to visit this place now. It sounds, yeah, kind of really, it's almost that you've been building up to this and obviously then the move to this new space 10 times as big, you know, it's almost like that's one of the big key enablers here, isn't it? Really just that... Yeah, that ability to have the resources and the space to be able to develop these ideas. Well, what is the big vision then for, for the new zoo? As much as obviously a lot of this is going to be still, I guess, commercially sensitive, but for what you can sort of share with us publicly, I mean, what, what is the big dream? What, where is this kind of headed in the future? Yeah, so I think, I think it's really about immersing the public and 
really streamlining that message that we are enabling people to make a difference in their lives and to take that to whatever extent they want to. I think we're going to be much more about engaging communities, especially diversifying um, who we reach. Um, so, um, you know, I'm currently looking at setting up a, a access to nature program where we will have funding to be able to have children who might necessarily never get a chance to come to the zoo or people who um, will benefit from the well-being of being at the zoo. Um, you know, we are looking at things like green prescribing, moving much further up the agenda as we start to tackle some of our societies. Um, problems we we can be that counterbalance to the technology electronic lack of time area we want people to come and connect to nature to feel empowered to, to, to change nature and it's going to take time it's not i'm not going to you know we're not going to close the zoo and open the zoo and it will all be done it's going to take time and it's going to happen in phases and what we're really doing is inviting people to join us on that journey whether that's a visitor or it's a it's, it might be an organization that's looking for a partnership that shares our values within sustainability education um you know we we are a, you know our our role is so linked to so many different challenges that the world is facing at the moment that i think we have a really important um chance to get this right and to grow and it will take time so we are prioritizing the central african forest which is going to be um, the new home for the gorillas um, at the moment i don't know if anybody is aware but we still have gorillas at bristol zoo gardens um, our family of gorillas are there they're probably the last species that will stay there um, until the until we receive the planning permission um, to to, um, to basically receive the funds so that we can um, we can continue to progress with the project here at Wild Place. Um, so finding, building a new bespoke home for them is our priority. So that's that's how we will we will start. Um, and um, and also we we have been custodians of of what the plans for the Bristol Zoo Gardens will be. So um, we are hoping that as well as having housing there, um, there will be a huge um, natural area that will be open to the public and a um, a little conservation hub um, which we can support and operate um, the Ava Downs and Gorge project from, but also tells the history of Bristol Zoo Gardens within the city, um, and then. As, uh, our evolution of how we've moved um, to the new site uh, where Wild Place Project is. Um, and we will work through and follow through those phases. But we're hoping that people will come along with us for the journey. They, it won't be a, a Disneyland polish, <laughs> you know, open. It's going to be, you know, come and see what we're doing, see how you want to get involved, see how we can shape it, understand that, you know, we're doing this, the purpose is bigger than just to be a visitor attraction. The purpose is really to influence behaviour change. And if we want to protect the planet and be sustainable for the future, there will be new careers in, in sustainability, in, in environmental, um, uh, protecting wildlife. Uh, and, and we can offer those things and we can nurture those things and, and hopefully um, people can see how they play a role in that too. 
Such exciting times. I mean, from a, um, a business's perspective, so if somebody listening to this is you know, a marketing um, budget holder or they're working in their kind of HR department, um, how, how would they kind of start the journey of engagement with you? What would be the kind of the process and what sort of involvement would you be looking to uh, get from them? Because I'm guessing on the one hand, yes, and budget would be quite nice. So a little bit of money passing hands obviously feeds the uh, into, into the machine. But what kind of involvement would you expect from your side? Yeah, I think for us, it's really about developing long-term partnerships we know that time is poor and that there's lots of you know lots of opportunities um, for organizations to engage with us but what we know is that conservation takes time behavior change takes time and we want people to really come on a journey with us um, so if any organizations we're looking at much deeper approach to partnerships rather than that being transactional you know you give us this much money we give you these tickets but actually how are we going to be able to uh, improve well-being for your staff for those people that engage with us how are we going to reach your customers or your shareholders or your stakeholders and how are we going to help them support their behavior change or understand um, how we can work together to save wildlife we're also embarking on a huge transformation um, a build where we're going to need lots of uh, there are lots of opportunities where people might have services that they want to give for us it doesn't always need to be monetary um, you know for example we had developed a partnership with a website provider who potentially is going to build us a new website now the value in kind of that is it's huge, but they know that as, as a big organisation that comes together to do a project, that's going to really, um, they're going to be part of our journey of success, um, but also that they can engage their staff. It's a project that motivates them, which helps them to, to retain their employees. It helps to improve well-being. It helps to um, to people feel connected to an organization and, and to charities and feel part of a community that's doing well. So I think for organizations, there's great value in being able to establish relationships. And we're seeing that transformation from a traditional ES, CSR to environmental, social governance, becoming priorities and becoming um, actually more important than making a profit even for organizations what is the sustainability impact how do we connect socially and and how do we do that and charities and i think especially bristol zoo um zoological society has an important role we can really look at sustainability look at behavior change look at how um social good can 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 make a difference how we can match values um how we can look to go on a journey of discovery between sustainability we're not going to get to you know we've got an objective by 2035 which is actually our 200th anniversary we've got some very clear um sustainability objectives um like going net zero but how are we how are we going to do that you know it's it's we're going to need people to support us and we're not expertise uh we have um you know we 
we're experts in conservation and animals and wildlife, but you know, we have a finance department, we have a marketing department, we have our development department, we have site services, we have uh, volunteers, we have we have this huge kind of connection of audiences uh, and different opportunities to support in different different ways. So I definitely encourage um, anyone who's interested, we, we're more than happy to give you a tour of, of Wild Place um, to, to meet with you and, and to try and find solutions and values that, that marry up and match in that same way. Um, and I've got experience of this happening before in a very transformational way where sometimes businesses come to us with an idea and we can see how we can reach that solution but it's it's how do we enable that resources to be freed up or that those resources to be funded along the way this is such a creative way for any organization who's on their sustainability journey uh, to use that in a, the broadest sense of uh, the phrase to, to kind of see a very, very different way of doing it because i think a lot of organizations are sort of you know gazing inward at you know what can we do internally but this is a a really kind of outward facing view isn't it and i think to collaborate with someone like bristol zoo this would be a you know fascinating way for as you say sort of dealing with the people element maybe the process element, because they'll learn from you in some of the ways that you're um, operating internationally. If they're not, you know, they can learn some some of the best practice that you guys are doing. And yeah, just there's so many different new innovative angles that would be a, a spin-off benefit, I guess, you know, from this. I mean, th this potentially then applies to businesses or organizations at any kind of size, because initially I was thinking, well, it must just be for the big bigger businesses, but it feels like a smaller business, maybe a local one or maybe even one further afield who feels that alignment with the kind of the vision that you have and the kind of values that you're talking about they could also get involved so this isn't really you know this it's not prohibited to anybody is it this is open for everyone yeah exactly we we run as a business we have lots of different um providers of, of different things you know you know i think i needed a you know and, and sometimes it's where do we ask for help? What are the networks? Where can we find this help? And and something something could be ad hoc. You know, we need a CAD drawing of a sculpture that we want to create, and for us to go out and pay for that, we might not have the budget. But there might be someone said, "I'm willing to give two hours of my time, and you know, just call me when you need me." Or you know, and and those little businesses, or for example, you know, we're hosting an event and we need a marquee, and people have got these things. So it's a much more sustainable approach to saying, "You've got these resources, you've got these expertise. We've, you know, we need um, something to 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 help elevate what we're doing. Can we match together?" Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely lots of creative ways that businesses can think about that. I think for us, it's about managing um, expectation time. And what we deliver back on is impact reporting. So, you know, we, we when we do have uh, partnerships that are that are over here, we can share those successes. We can we can share incredible stories about animals. Um, you know, you get to come and meet them, but also, you know, you get to learn, um, uh, follow the stories of, of some of our conservationists who are going out into the world to protect it. And, and you feel that you have uh, been responsible for that, as, as all of our supporters and donors should feel that um, they are enabling us to be able to do the the good work that's needed and 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 for us to find opportunities um where where values do match and and sometimes you know we can we can pay it back 
by telling you the difference you've made, but also, you know, we have, we, we're hoping to increase visitor numbers, you know, and so you have brand alignment, brand values, all of those things that, that people pay a lot of money for. We might have opportunities where instead of you doing that big marketing campaign, we can reach that that audience and and um, for you in return for for services or um, you know or for for helping to support us either monetarily or or in kind. Yeah, so really kind of evangelizing this word partnership. This is true partnership, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people say, oh, yes, we want to get into partnership. and But really, they're only thinking of it as a, a short-term fix to a challenge they've got or just something that, yeah, we'll talk a partnership, but it's only for this year. You, I guess you're looking for real longevity here because, you know, with the, the new Zoom, with the various initiatives that um, you're talking about, this, this is longer term too, isn't it? So somebody who was looking to get involved with you potentially if everything kind of goes well this is this is a very long-term relationship potentially here isn't it yeah definitely i mean we we have objectives that we need to reach and we need to be able to do that so sometimes i'm very candid with people when they come in and meet with us you know and i say look i've got absolutely no budget we're running at a deficit this year we've closed a visitor attraction that was our main income and you know we we are very we have to be as resourceful and impactful with the time that we have within our small team um, to, to, to be that. But actually, when you say, okay, well, what is the problem? What are the phases to try and solve that? What are the challenges rather than just looking at the outcome? Um, and, and how do we get to those steps for doing that? that I think that's definitely got legs and um, you know I met with a company called Orientate which are really looking at um, nature models and um, and how that can be applied to sustainability and um, we spoke that we had the same you know ideas and values and and in fact what, what when we are really upfront and well what do you need and what do we need and where do we match in the middle we'll give you a bit of our time you give us a bit of your time and 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 that's really valuable and and then that could, that's a very small way to deal with it but the the model that i was talking about before where i've worked with a company was um I, I'm from Jersey, that's hence my surname, um, it's, it's a very Jersey, it's very famous, uh, Gerald Dorrell Zoo is based there, Jersey Zoo, um, he um, was famous for my family and other animals, um, but he was a famous um, naturist and he 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 really cared about the environment and the, the zoo there, actually the income that they get through visitors is below 15%, most of it comes through fundraising, trust and grants, um, corporate partnerships, and whilst I was there, I um, had a really amazing uh, entrepreneurial leader come in to me and he said, I've read There's No Planet B and I'm really fired up and I'm really passionate. I want to do something. And I've thought about my business and he owned a, a plant hire company business where, um, where he had big diggers and all these kind of using up dirty oil as he was saying you know to kind of think and he was really on this journey of sustainability he wanted to electrify all of his machinery but he knew that that wasn't going to be possible for for quite some time and he was actually wanted to leave a legacy of, of drastic change so he figured out how to um, work out the fuel and um, offset the fuel um, how much that would cost and he came to me and he said look I've looked at all these offsets um, organizations on how to offset carbon and I just I'm just 
not because they're not very close. I don't feel it's a bit far out. But I know you guys are planting trees in the Amazon, right? And I was like, I think I said, oh, yeah, we are planting trees in Sao Paulo. We're connecting rainforest fragments and and breeding tamarins. And that this is we have this this project. And he said, what if I gave you the money? And I said, well, we're not carbon offsetters. And he said, what would it take to become carbon offsetter? And it was a three-year journey, but now Donald have a carbon offsetting program that not only his business funds, but every <laughs> other business is hugely attracted to because it's a it's a very it's a very it's very accountable and it's a not-for-profit thing. So that's where a small seed can grow into something <laughs> quite literally that plants a rainforest. And um, and I think we should empower those things and big ideas like that is what we need to make huge changes and bristol zoo and you know our movement to the side is is innovation it is it is moving forward with with what zoos can be and i'm open and our team are hopefully open to bringing people on as as being partners in that whether that's individuals that that, that are invested or, or businesses or, or, or people who can actually see the strategic value and the long-term value in, in making the change now, not waiting for, for, for it to be enforced. And I think that's probably where we come in. And if you are one of these people listening or watching this and you think, hmm, I think I might um, dip my toe in the water here. This sounds too good an opportunity to miss. And if I don't do it, somebody else will. How do people get hold of you, Beth? Because this sounds like a lot of people might be wanting to um, test the water, should we say, for building a partnership uh, with the zoo. How, how can they contact you? Yeah, so um, people can contact us. We do have um, a, a small corporate team who looks after our memberships and our partnerships, uh, and it's corporate at bristolzoo.org.uk. But please just search on the website. You can find, um, there's also our future plans on our website called future.bristolzoo.org.uk. Um, but you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm really happy for people to approach me and um, to, to kind of just start a conversation. Um, you know, we are looking for opportunities. I know there's foundation and trusts and funds and out there at the moment that will want to innovate with us. And we're looking for people who can support us and help guide us in that way as well. So I think there are lots of different ways that people can help if they're interested. But yeah, I'm always open for people just reaching out and finding me on LinkedIn or, or, or contacting us directly. This has been such a great conversation, Beth. So really, really grateful for your time. Um, it's just, yeah, well, it's really opened my eyes to the opportunities, you know, and they are many and varied for individuals and, and for businesses. So it's really exciting times. And uh, yes, I'm planning to keep close to you in the zoo to find out how this journey develops and how I might be involved too. So we'll be talking after this conversation, I have no doubt at all. Thank you so much for your time today, Beth. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, everyone.